Thanks for joining us for the March edition of the Lee Schools TV podcast. I'm Rob Spicker, Assistant Director in the Communications Department. Our topic today is going to be the high school schedule change. We're moving from an alternating four by four period block schedule to seven periods per day. Our guests are the Chief Academic Officer, Dr. Jeff Spiro, and the Director of High School Curriculum, Candace Elevedo. So thank you both for joining us to talk about this subject. It came up a couple of years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So why is it back now to change high school schedules? Well, first off, thank you so much for having us here today. Um, it's important for us to continue to have this dialogue with our teachers and our students to share the information as well as answer as many questions as we can. So thank you. So you are correct. A couple of years ago, there was conversation that occurred at the school board table in our high schools around changing the high school schedule. And the whole focus of that two years ago was to provide more instructional time for students. And our high school principals were looking at a variety of different methods that they were going to use to have a high school schedule. This time, fast forward two years later, um, now we're dealing with a national teacher shortage. We're having a hard time getting certified teachers in all of our classrooms. Teachers are exhausted. They're picking up Go, going through their planning period, doubling up classes. We're trying to get substitute teachers. Coaches inside of the building are also picking up classes as well as our administrators. And so this is one method to help combat the teacher shortage, as well as the missed learning that our students have experienced over the past two years because of COVID. And it's hard for sometimes people to remember, if you flash back a year ago, our students were in and out of their instructional model. They were going from Lee Home Connect to Lee Virtual School to face-to-face, -face, whatever the families felt comfortable with. And we allowed that flexibility to happen. That was only a year ago. And so now we're back in the school face-to-face. -face. And for some students, it's their first time being in a building around other students, first time in two years. And so we, we really are dealing with some challenging issues in our high schools regarding academics as well as students' well-being. So this move for next year to go to seven periods for all 15 high schools really is an attempt to address the teacher shortage as well as the missed learning opportunity. Now, I want to say before we move on, this is not going to cure everything. This is one strategy. It's not a panacea. Um, we still are going to have to deal with some teacher shortages. Um, there are other methodologies that we're using in our schools to address the academics also. So this is a strategy, a system that a school would use to help address that. So let's talk to the students about that learning loss and addressing them. So what are going to be the advantages of seven periods versus the block schedule? So obviously the biggest difference between a seven period day and a block schedule, twofold. One, students will see their teachers each and every day. However, it's for shorter amount of times. Right now in a high school, we have 84 minute periods, four classes one day, four classes the next day. This new schedule will, get, will give students 46 minutes with their teachers every single day. So you'll have the content every day, and that way you, you also have that consistency with procedures and consistency with academic flow with inside of a classroom. It's what, 720 extra minutes, right, over the course of the year? It's 720 extra minutes for students over the course of a year, which roughly accounts to about 15 additional school days per course for students. Yeah. Candace, I'll kind of address this one to you because the IB and Cambridge students, a couple years ago, this year again, they're really worried about losing that elective. They already have very rigorous schedules, and that elective was, you know, a chance to relax, if you will, in, in school. So what's the message to them about having seven periods instead of eight? So the biggest thing we want them to hear is you will still have an opportunity for electives. 
because we do know that is an opportunity for students to be able to kind of take a break, have an outlet in another manner, and it's still possible within the progression to have those electives. For our students who are coming into the IB high school programs, they're not gonna really feel this impact at all because they're going to be setting their schedule as they come in. Same thing with our rising juniors. This spring, they'll be working with their counselors to really map out their junior and senior year. But really, the students we wanna be talking to in our IBs are our rising seniors, so next year's senior class. Because that is a group of students that will have to make some choices of what elective do I really want because I can take one of my courses alternating. So the big one for IB is that theory of knowledge class that they have. And they can elect to take that class every day and not have an elective, or they can alternate with that theory of knowledge and an elective. We still want them to have that opportunity for those elective classes so it does work in their schedule. The other advanced programs, they're more flexibility within the programs, so it really allows them to still maintain up to two electives if they would like it in their schedule. So it's still there. Big message to students, it's still there, and you'll be working with your counselors to make that happen. So it's, it's only about 10% of the students that are IB Cambridge. So the other 90% of the students on the more general track, the impact for them is different, or, or is it, or how is it different? So the impact across the board is all of our students are going from eight classes to seven. And really, as you heard Dr. Spiro say, they get to pick up an additional 15 interactions with their teachers. So while all students are going to have a reduced course offering, they all get to pick up that additional interaction. So for some students, it may be that it's an elective course that they're not having. But not all of our students take the opportunity to take all of those classes every single year through their high school progression. So for all students, though, it really means that increased time with teachers in the academic areas while knowing that, yes, we are removing an option during their year. Yeah, I found it really interesting when you mentioned this to the board the other day. There's about half of the senior class this year that is not taking eight classes. They have a free period, so the opportunity or the change to seven periods doesn't, you know, they're not using what they have now. Yes, so high school graduation requires 24 credits. So on our current alternating four by four, students have the option to earn 32 credits. So by the time they reach their senior year, if there's not an elective class that they're really interested in or two elective classes, they choose to have those periods just off. So when we talked at the board table about 46% of our current seniors right now having this off-campus period, it's not because they're doing an on-the-job training or going and taking dual enrollment classes. These are just courses where they're truly off for that period, so they're arriving at school later. And it's because they had the opportunity, their freshman through junior year, to earn all of their required credits. It's really important to note, as even though we're changing to that seven-period day, over the four years, the high school students still have an opportunity to earn 28 credits. So it's still above and beyond that requirement there. It's just a reduction of four. And, and if I can, I would like to expand on that. So those students are required to have 24 credits. They get the opportunity for 80, 28 credits. Yeah. But if a student still needs to make up a course, we're going to have continual options for students. So, for example, we implemented our back on track, which allows students to make up a credit after hours with a certified teacher to help them get back on track. And so those type of opportunities will remain with students, as well as 
opportunities during the summer, as well as opportunities to take um, original credit via virtual classes. So we're going to try to communicate as many additional opportunities for students in their schedule who want to take these courses. Homework is a question that gets asked. Sure. <laughs> students are a little worried about it, maybe the parents more, because with the block, they had two days. So you got a kid that works or is busy playing sports, they had that extra night maybe to do the homework. What's the, the, the strategy so that homework isn't overwhelming if it's due every day, or will it be due every day? Great question. And so we, we've had this email, it's called high, uh, high school net, where people have been able to submit questions. And certainly from our students, this has been one of the trends that we've heard or around the homework. And that's, that's a good question. So to our students, I like to remind them, remember, you're going from eight courses to seven. So you immediately are reducing your overall load by one class. In addition, we and academic services are going to be working with our teachers uh, to create what we call our grading guidelines. And it's an opportunity to create a system so that teachers are not giving homework all on the same night. We're not giving assessments on every day. It's going to be working with our school leaders and our teachers on creating a system so that we get an opportunity to spread those out during the course of a week. Plus, there are a lot of opportunities now. You know, we've learned through the pandemic how we really can use like Google Classroom, for example. So a teacher may use that flipped classroom model. So my homework might be that I'm a teacher, I've done my direct instruction, I've videotaped myself doing that, and then the homework for the student that evening is to watch that me providing that direct instruction, and that way when I'm in the classroom, then we engage in what that content is. So it's really going to be about the maximizing the opportunities with students while they're with you and maximizing that time. So very strategic, almost like, oh, that's interesting that you can kind of flip the instruction, watch my short video at home and come back in class the next day and we'll really dive into it. 100%. I don't know if Candace, you want to talk a little bit more about that. As I say, it really aligns with some of those best practices too. Think about we implemented Connect with Lee when we went on the pandemic because families were saying, it's been a long time since I've done this type of homework and perfect practice. So by implementing something that Dr. Speyer is talking about where they're watching that video, it allows them to then do the application piece with the teacher there. So really building upon some of those best practices, but we're working with teachers in schools of what does that look like? Because really when we're talking about homework, that's a direct area that we can help control and support. That way students don't feel like it's one more thing, but instead it becomes a meaningful activity to support what's happening inside their classrooms. And I'll say, well, I'm a former high school principal, and I, I worked at a variety of different schools, and, and teachers were always cognizant about students having that high school experience. We want students actively engaged in clubs and athletics, um, participating in their community, and teachers are keenly aware of that. And so teachers oftentimes get the pulse of their class, and they, they can understand where the level of anxiety, where that is with their students, and make those adjustments. Teacher judgment is strong. Good, good. All right. Um, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but let's look ahead at the end of the next school year. Do, do you see this having a real impact on student achievement? Well, certainly, again, we began this by saying it's one strategy. A master schedule is a system inside of your school to create opportunities for learning for students. So we would not be doing this if we didn't think it would have a positive impact on learning for students. So, yes, 
Our, our hope and our goal for our students and our teachers is that they embrace the seven-period day. We're going to be providing professional development for teachers to prepare for this as well. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that our students who are behind get caught up and our students who are already there, we get the opportunity to expand their learning opportunities by the teaching and learning that happens in the classroom each and every day with our teachers. Yeah, let's talk about teachers. They're sure. Very voicing their concerns. The union has as well about losing some planning time. So how do you address that with the teachers? By being real. Yes, they're overall, you know, teachers right now have four periods a day, 84 minutes. They teach three periods and then they get an 84 minute planning period. So they're not going to have 84 minute planning period every day. They will have a 46 minute planning period every day. So yes, that's a change that's hard. And change is hard. So I, I, I hear their concerns. We hear their concerns. Human resources hears their concerns. Certainly our superintendent hear their concerns as well. Um, so that is, we talked about this scheduling. It's not perfect. There's give and take. The give of this is you get to see your students every day. The take of this, student, students learn the, lose the opportunity for one extra class. And then high school teachers, they get the reduction in planning time for each and every day. Now, it does put our high school teachers more on the level playing field with our middle school and our elementary teachers for the amount of planning time that they have also. But it is hard. It, it, it is hard. They're not going not to dodge that one. It's going to be different for them. It's going to be a challenge. 100%. Yeah. All right. Um, teachers are also somewhat worried because there will be fewer positions needed that some of them could lose a job. Is that possible? We need teachers. Uh, we need teachers. So, though, yes, moving to a seven-period day will reduce the number of certified teachers needed. We also have vacancies. We've had, te we've had principals who haven't even advertised all of the vacancies that they've had available to them because they knew they weren't going to get teachers. And so we do not anticipate a single teacher losing their, losing their position. We need teachers, and I can't say that loud enough. We need them because we need to fill all of our classrooms with a certified teacher. That's one of our goals is to fill every single classroom with a certified teacher. In a utopian world, that would happen. But the reality is we believe we're still going to have shortages because we have hundreds, I mean hundreds of openings every summer. Um, so maybe Candace direct this to you, speaking of the teachers, there will be uh, professional development opportunities for them to learn how to best use their class time, how to adjust to seven schedules. Can you talk about those for them? Absolutely. This is where the work really excites us of bringing teachers in to do this work together. So starting in the spring, bringing back teacher workforces for each of the content areas to really map out, okay, how do we need to adjust our pacing that we have? And inside that pacing, as Dr. Spire talked about, those 46 minutes is what does 46 minutes look like with students? That way when teachers are planning, things are mapped out really well for them. So building upon that then moves into summer and really doing training and professional development with teachers and our professional development team of how do you maximize that instructional time? What does engagement look like? Because you only have those 46 minutes. So transitions are key. No longer having students of, hey, I'm going to get the Chromebook out and sit and turn to my neighbor for a moment. It's going to be moving those systems in pace because there's many teachers in our district that have only ever taught on the block. We've been in the block for a decade and that's what they know. So making that shift back to 
How do I utilize every single minute? But really engaging teachers in that work. Because so many of our teachers in the district, though, are talented and were with us during seven periods that we have lessons learned. And across the state, as we onboard teachers, other districts, many districts utilize the seven period day. So really capitalizing on that. Because what it looks like for the biology teacher is not the same as it looks for the language arts teacher. Those are very different pieces. And it'll be important that we work with our individual subject areas to lay out those best practices. So what's gonna happen next? I imagine the high schools are gonna be very busy this spring putting this in place. Well, let me talk a little bit about the work that happens before the students even get involved in this. So our assistant principals for curriculum, they are now going to begin to build that framework. And so it's going to be, it's going to be a challenging schedule to build because in high school, we have our academies, we have arts programs. And so those type of courses, they'll begin with those specialty courses, start with those, and then they'll work their way backwards to make sure that we maximize opportunities for students. Once that schedule that is built, that framework, then they'll begin the process of doing course registrations with our students. And I'll let Candace talk a little bit about maybe what that timeline looks like. You know, if I'm a student, when do yeah, I get to pick class? I'm sure they want to know. <laughs> so we're going to be looking a little later in the spring. So at the end of March, we're going to have the opportunity to work with those assistant principals of curriculum. And like Dr. Spiro said, it's going to be so important that we sit with each individual high school and go, how do I place all of my singleton courses? So it won't be probably until later April where students are going to start engaging in that. Now, some students may already be thinking about their courses because we do talk programs, but official course registration will happen later in the spring. So I get the idea of talking to you that it's going to be really important for the students to work with the counselors and the school staff to make sure they're maximizing the schedule if they have questions or concerns about what should I take or not take. Absolutely, so more than ever, this is really when we talk about all hands in and working together, that everybody's talking to the students and the families about what is important. And that only can happen after the actual master schedule is built, but really helping direct students in what is it you want to do during your high school career? Where do you see yourself long term? And that's where it's great that we're able to work across departments and divisions to make sure that really happens. So students will be actively engaged with their counselors and their assistant principals of curriculum to make sure they understand hey, no longer of, I'll just put a PE class in there because it sounds like a good class, but is that really what you want to do? Like, what is it you want to get out of your four years that yeah. you have? And let's align those classes. Find, find a class that interests you, not just yes. that fills the schedule. Any last thoughts, words? I do. I, don't want to I want to reiterate. We know change is hard. This is not a panacea. This is not going to fix all, all the teacher shortages. It's going to help address the missed learning. Um, so there's going to be a lot of work that still has to go into this to make sure that we maximize opportunities for students. And what will be different inside of a schoolhouse as well is going to be transitions. And so you'll see more movement in the hallways. Um, lunches are going to be well-timed because as one class is leaving, another one is going to be coming in as also. So there are a lot of systems that are going to have to make sure that they're aligned and they're tight inside of our high school. So that'll look different for kids. It will look and feel different. If they have questions, the email address is? Highschoolschedule at leeschools.net. We also have a webpage, and on our webpage, we have a frequently asked question list that's updated on a regular basis. Uh, we have board presentations. Our board advisories are on there as well. So a lot of the work that we've done is on there for people to look and see, but we 
try to answer every single email that comes through. We have a team uh, comes through. We have a team of individuals to do this. And the last thing I want to say to our teachers is, I know this is different. Yes, I know this is going to be hard. Um, and I know, as I said earlier, there's a give and take. But I promise we're doing this with the best interest of students in mind to help them move forward. And we're doing this with the best interest of making sure that there is a certified teacher in front of every student. Candice, Dr. Spira, thank you so much Thanks, for joining us here on the, uh, the podcast and hope you enjoyed and learned a little bit more about the high school schedule change. We'll be back next month with the next edition of the Lee Schools TV podcast. <laughs>